Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hello there, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. And also welcome if it's your first time. I realize I always say welcome back and, you know, maybe this is your first episode you've ever heard of the podcast in which he says, say welcome. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking some time to consider what it takes to be human in healthcare. Um, And we're happy to have you. So today I wanted to talk about a topic that's been coming up a lot lately, both in like coaching sessions I'm having and also in some workshops I've been running. So um, you'll have noticed if you're sort of listening in real time and following me on social media, I've been talking a lot about ways to shift how we work, right? Including this concept of what if we actually schedule our lives to be under our body's capacity, if we actually give ourselves space to breathe and flex with all of the things that life can give us, right? And it's been interesting. Um, One of the concepts I talk about as you consider shifting how you work is really knowing what you want to protect, what's actually most important for you, what it is that you actually want. And a, a common answer I've gotten in the different workshops and in different coaching sessions is that many of us have no idea what we want. And so that's what I want this episode to be about, knowing what you really want and actually understanding a bit of why that is a tricky question, you know, Um, because my hypothesis um, that I would state for anyone listening who's like, yep, that's me. I don't know what I want. And I will personally, I certainly identify as someone who historically felt like I didn't know what I want. Like the classic thing would be my husband would be like, so what do you want to order for dinner and order takeout? What do you want? And I'd be like, oh, whatever you want. And I don't know that, that sums it all up actually folks. Can we end the podcast here? No, I want to talk about (laughs) so much about how we can reclaim that, but that default of like, whatever you want is honestly the main thing that makes it really hard for us to know what we want. You know, um, I would say the truer thing is that for sure, each of us listening There is a part of us, it might be very deeply buried, but there is a part of us who is always aware of what we want, is always aware of what we prefer, what we like and dislike, what feels nicer or less nice to us, what we'd rather spend more or less time on. And the part of us is our bodies. Our bodies are very aware of what they want and therefore what we want because we are our bodies and our bodies are us right i talk about that concept a lot on this podcast and so it is true that at least a part of our bodies is aware of what we want um it may be that because of our upbringing and um our past experiences and even our ancestral trauma even our bodies may be giving us mixed messages and signals about what they want um, and I want to talk about that first. I think before we can kind of talk about how we could start to discover what we really want, we first have to talk about why it's so challenging, right? Because it's somewhere in there, but it's been suppressed, oppressed, you know, gaslighted. Like it's it's been shoved into a corner for so many of us to the point where we, we find it very challenging to access what it is we want. And so if you feel that way, you're not broken, you're not weird, you are in good company. Um, I would imagine most people listening to this may struggle with it. I would imagine if you happen to have been raised female, if you are also living in um, bodies that are identified as marginalized in, in any kind of way and have been othered in any kind of way, you may even have a more acute amount of this. It may be feel hit differently for you, you know? So First and foremost, you're not alone and you're not weird or you're as weird as everyone else. Let's put it that way, right? And the other thing to know is, I, in my experience, it is absolutely something that I've been able to uncover. And I have seen in others that 
I really have a belief that everyone can uncover and get back into connection with what it is that they truly desire. What is it that they truly want and like and enjoy and all of those concepts, which are very, very linked, right? So the first thing I think to talk about is why it feels scary to know what we want. So say there's some part of us that knows what we want. Why is it in a box? Why are we terrified to look at it? Why is it, you know, when it's like, so what do you want to do? I don't know. And even if you ask, it's like, well, maybe I want this, but now maybe I don't. Like we feel scared to look at it. We feel scared to actually acknowledge that we have a desire of any kind, right? And then when you look at just like spend a little moment, if you will, little flip through montage of life experiences. Have there been times in your life where, and you know, in a trauma-informed way, hold on to yourself because some of these can be really challenging reasons. So I don't want to say it flippantly. There, you don't have to look back and flip through your life if that actually feels too scary, honestly. But just have a staying in the present, even have an inkling. Is it possible that I've experienced in the past times where I have expressed what I wanted and had something other than acknowledgement and support back to me. This isn't the case where it's like, I've, I haven't been given everything I want. And that's like a punishment. No, there's something, you know, I think about my kids and, you know, they're three and five and they want all sorts of things that some of them are physically impossible and others are just not available to me in the moment, or I don't want to do, you know, but uh, for a lot of us, what happened, say, when we were little and we said we wanted something and we expressed it in a little kid way, it wasn't that the answer was no. And then that was devastating and traumatic for us. No, it was that we were often shamed, um, maybe like overtly punished for having that desire. Right. And it's like it's not OK for you to want things. Um, there could have, we could have had family dynamics or school dynamics um, or, you know, whichever environments this seems most potent in where we were really um, um, ostracized or made fun of or mocked for wanting things like, why would you want that? That's not cool. You know what I mean? Like there's all these ways that um, we pass judgment on people's desires and then we're surprised when nobody knows what they want. <laughs> it's so sad, you know, how, um, We've had this done to us and we can even do it to each other. And so um, also say you have any sort of religious or sort of moral, there could be a moral element to it where maybe it's selfish to have desires. You're not supposed to have your own earthly carnal desires. You're supposed to only honor the desires of whatever deity you were raised to worship. And they are the pure good desires of service and altruism and, you know, less of let me become less and let you become more it's ignore all of my bodily impulses they're all sinful anyway I had a good helping of that as well so you know perhaps it's a mix of that or something else but really kind of understanding that the reason it's hard for you to attune to what you want is because probably in your past and even in your ancestors past it has been safer either like physically or at least socially, which is as the same as physically to our bodies and our nervous systems. It's been safer to really prioritize and intensely attune to what everyone else's wants first. And really just, it's easier to pretend you have no wants. So then you're not sad when they're not met, right? So instead it's like, no, no, I do always want what you want. I'm just happy if you're happy. Like we can get into that state. And, you know, if it was true, that would be fine. But actually, we are also individual human beings, and there are going to be times where they may be happy and we may be sad, whoever the they is that holds that sort of power in your mind and in your nervous system, you know? Like, truly, most of us have been socialized since birth to prioritize what others want over us and to be selfless and to be altruistic and giving, right? And then no matter what your pre- medical training state was certainly within healthcare. It is this cultural norm to kind of dismiss and minimize what we want over the needs of others. So like if your patient wants something from you, simply saying, I don't want to, right? Because a bit of saying what we want is also saying what we don't want. And sometimes that's even scarier. So it's like scarier to think of either, right? It's just fine to go along. And if if the answer, like my patient wants me to do this right now, and really the only answer is that I don't want to, that's not a good enough answer because their need has to prioritize over yours, right? Like whatever it is, like your desire isn't a good enough reason for itself, right? If I want to take 
time for myself, take a vacation, leave early to see my family, that there's a whole social undercurrent of that being selfish, unreasonable, not a good team player, because the team should clearly just all peer pressure each other to overwork until they snap. Like there's really this culture where it's like, yeah, we have to justify or apologize or make up for times when we had desires, which meant that our contribution to someone else was less or different than what they wanted, right? Like that's kind of not okay, right? That that an external need, and we, and we feel it like a rope, like obligation, like so someone has an expectation, I'm obliged to meet it. Someone asks me something, I'm obliged to say yes. So much so that if someone simply asks a request, we feel resentment if it's not an immediate yes. It's like, how dare you? Because we're so attuned to thinking, if someone asks for something for me, if someone expresses their want, I have to meet it. This obligation takes over, right? And so one way that our bodies kind of, if for protective reasons, help us feel less of that resentment or less of the sadness of not having our meats net is that we get, it gets muted. It gets kind of extinguished so that we don't have to feel it, right? Um, this quote, I was in this like feminist coaching course um, and one of the other members in there, um, she's a lovely career coach, Nicole Stickstein, uh, Trick Steinbeck, sorry, Nicole for mispronouncing your name there. Um, we were having this sort of group conversation about this sense of like not knowing what we want um, as people raised female and socialized and identifying as female. And um, the way she said it was so good, I wrote it down. It's like a quote in my little quotes app. When obligation drives choice, desire is misunderstood as confusion. I just think that, so it's like having any little desire, your body just like masks it in confusion. Like, nah, you don't know, you don't know what's going on here. Cause I'm only allowed to make choices based on obligation. So my own desire can't, if my own desire interrupts my ability to fulfill my obligations, that's a safety problem for my nervous system, which has been attuned and rewarded for only thinking of our obligations and needs and giving to others, right? And so if you feel really confused, that makes sense. That was done to you, that you didn't do that to yourself. And we we do it to each other a bit and it's been done to us. And so that the good news is that means that's not a fixed characteristic of you. You're not, you know, now completely unable to access that forever. It's something that you could access over time. And that's a beautiful thing. It also means that considering we're talking about safety signals and sort of social conditioning, it's okay to take this work, as well as like anything I say to you on this podcast, at a pace that feels sort of safe for your nervous system. So I think we think that we have to just like immediately know exactly what we want and go for it right away. No, we can take this in stages and paces. As I talk through this podcast, I'm I'm really going to take it kind of incrementally and talk through all the pieces of it that's been my personal experience. And I'll say that like my journey to knowing what I want, which I'm like still on that journey, it's a not, no destination folks. It's just sort of practicing, like checking in with myself. Did I want that or didn't I? And like, kind of just checking in really. Um, I would say that the place I am at now, I got to over several years of just like gradual work. And that was beautiful. It doesn't have to be this like full force. Now I immediately need to know everything I want at all times. Otherwise I failed. That's like some perfectionistic crap we don't need to have in this conversation, okay? So yes, so how can we start to tune in to what we want, right? Like how can you start to tune in? And I'll name right here, like we don't have to do anything with this information. We're just getting curious of, does some part of me know what I want? My brain doesn't seem to think I know what I want, but is there anything in there, a little signal in there that does actually know what I want in any given situation? So I kind of want to give you some questions that you could reflect on for yourself and some thought experiments that could help you start to tune into potentially having a deeper understanding of what you want, right? So one question that I really like, so if me, Joan, the idea I have of myself in the head is very confused because she's been deeply socialized and thinks that the only acceptable answer is the, the answer that will make everyone happy with her. We can go down from our brain into our bodies and say, separate from Joan, the idea, Joan, the body, my body, what does she want? You know, 
How does she wish things might be different with that patient? How is she reacting in this room with this patient? How is she reacting in this workplace? How does she react, you know, entering the workplace and leaving? Do I notice a sense of heaviness or lightness as I, I, I move in and out? Um, the thing that's nice about talking about the body, first of all, your, your body, you, you do know what you want so often because your body knows what you want a lot, right? Like, hunger, thirst, like our body is always giving us so many signals about what their needs are. And so we can kind of just build off of that. It doesn't have to be, this is good, this is bad, all or nothing, but just like desire, like, oh yeah, I noticed that by the end of the day, I'm more fatigued. We don't actually have to say anything about that. We don't have to make anything, make any meaning of that at all. We're just like, I notice, whew, yes, less energy at the end of the day. In some ways that makes sense. Is that I'm just curious about it. We're just, just curiously observing our bodies and how they are reacting. You know, how do they react when I speak with this person versus that person? How do they react when my schedule is this full versus that full, right? Like we're just being scientists of our own lives and our bodies as this, as the reservoir of our desire, actually, <laughs> um, we can get to know them and get a sense of what's there fully and just be tracking and seeing what's there. Um, now there may be some of you that really find talking about your body too tricky because of whatever reason, uh, you might want to, and you kind of want to stick with more of an idea-based reflection. And so I thought of a couple others that would be interesting to play around with, even just to acknowledge that there's different parts of yourself. So you could say like, you know, what do I think I want in the present day? And then another thing is like, what do you think my childhood self would have wanted you can choose an age it's like if i you know what would my if my seven-year-old self was making the decisions for me what would she want what what's my guess of what she would want in the situation you know what are the youngest parts of myself right now the ones that often are the most anxious or most feeling fearful or in need of protection what is my youngest what are my youngest parts yelling at me to do more or less of to be closer to or further away from in my life and that, and it's again, interesting answers. You might find that that's different than what your body says. Like, it's just so interesting to see these different parts of you. And in some ways it's about noticing the forces that are tugging on you. And then once you see all those forces, you no longer have to feel confused. You can be aware, oh, I have motivations pulling me in different directions. No wonder I feel conflicted. There's literally a conflict and then you can work through it, right? It's beautiful. Um, and then a third one I thought could be interesting um, would be what does my future self want for me right now? So I, you know, I did that episode somewhat recently talking about like a letter from my future self. And like, so speaking to your future self, imagining yourself at the end of your career on your deathbed in 10 years, like whichever version sounds more evocative and you can kind of picture, oh yeah, I'll be in a different state. I'll be in a different age and stage of life. And so like, what would she be calling me to do? What does she want for me? to do now in part to start to shift to become her. Like what is she gonna be like, okay, so if we're gonna stay on this path, if you wanna become me, like here's what I want for you, right? So just a couple different ways to get in touch with the parts of yourself that absolutely do know what you want, you know, period. So that's fun. So those are some fun things to play with. If you wanna take it um, a step further, you know, um, I have a couple thought experiments that I've done with a few clients and I've done for myself that I, I find to be really interesting, right? So um, if you're like, I don't really know what I want, I don't know what changes to make, what if you just sort of run a thought experiment and, and not with any like agenda in mind, but just noticing how you your mind and your body react to like, okay, so say one of the things you're wondering is like, how should I redesign my schedule? I have a sense that I kind of want to change something about how I work, how much I work, but I can't really tell what I really want or how it would go. So just like, what if you worked 25% less? Like what if you took out, you know, or a fifth less? What if you worked one less day a week, period? You just took out one of those days. What would that feel like? What would feel different about that? What would that look like? And it's not like better or worse, good or bad, but just like, um, and not all the logistics of how you make it happen, but just literally like say someone waved a magic wand and suddenly you're working, you had one last day a week that you were working, period. How would that feel? How, how would that feel on the days you are working? How would that feel on the day you're not working? 
you know, not to plan, but just literally to, to sense how it would feel. Is there a sense of relief? Is there a sense of anxiety? Is there mo both, right? Like what kind of comes up for you? And in the other direction. So say it's like, well, if that feels kind of too scary to consider, what if you worked an extra day? So now instead of working five days a week, you work six days a week. How would that feel in your body? Does your body start to really turn up the signals of no, thank you. Or is your body like, yay, give me more work. Yum, yum, yum. Like, <laughs> right. So sometimes it feels safer first to go in sort of the opposite direction of what you're considering, just to really get clear, like, oh no, yeah, that would be, that makes my sense of exhaustion go up even more. Huh? So then if I go down, would it make my sense of exhaustion a little less maybe? Right. So nothing's morally better. It's playing around with imagining these ideas. I've got this idea from um, the pain coach I've had on this podcast a few times, Deb, where she's talking about with, with people who live with chronic pain and how um, they can, that their beliefs about their pain change their experience of their pain. And one way that she often sort of demonstrates to them that they their brain does have some power over how much pain they experience is, you know, whatever pain they're having, um, it usually doesn't work to be like, try and feel less pain Then like nothing happens or it gets worse, right? But if she first asks like, try and feel more pain right now. Is there something you can do that actually increases and magnifies your experience of pain? And often they can. And so it's like, you did that with your brain. You didn't push on something like, and so then it's like, you could, so what if we could practice going in that other direction, right? Same with this, because we're talking about some kind of like emotional, physical pain that is probably the reason you're considering making a change, right? Um, and then the other kind of practice. So my, these are all a menu. I'm just seeing like, what hits with you? What, what makes you think, Ooh, I could try that. And maybe through that, I will understand more deeply what I want. Right. So another practice is simply checking in with your desires throughout the day to just understand that you already have them. Your body and you are already aware of things that you want and, um, they are already being satisfied. So I want to nourish my body. And now I have, I went from hungry to full. Look, look at me knowing what I want. Look at my body telling me what I want. Look at me having awareness and a relationship to a desire, desire for food, food given, um, desire to use a bladder, to use a bladder. If I have a full bladder, desire to use the bathroom, desire to empty my bladder. And now I have, right. Oh, I do have some awareness, right? My body does give me signals sometimes, right? Even if it seems too late or whatever, we don't have to put judgments about how much or how late it's starting with, from where you are starting from the signals that your, your sense of self and your body are already giving you, right? You're in a patient encounter and you're like, I notice I have a desire to end this encounter. I notice I'm done. I notice I want to leave. I don't even need to know like why I want to leave. It's like, I notice I want to leave. And then notice when you do, even if it's 30 minutes later than you wanted to, like notice that you do eventually satisfy that need. Unless you're listening to a podcast in that patient encounter right now, in which case get out of there. But no one's doing that. You do leave eventually, like just noticing the desire comes and when it's satisfied and to see how often that happens in your day. One of the things that this does is show that I think we have this sort of false idea and maybe things like life coaching and self-help and goal setting have give us this false uh, perception that it's a static thing. It's like a little diamond that we have to like dig through the dirt to find, which is the thing you want for the rest of your life. And it's just like, not the case. Like our desires are not static. For example, your body is wanting and desiring and craving and signaling to you that it wants more of one thing and then less of another thing. And then circumstances change, energy levels change, and then they tell you something else. So it's like, I want food. Now I don't want food. Now I want food again, because it's a, dy a dynamic state. And same with like, I want to work more or less. I want to, I want, today I want to talk to this patient for as long as they need this to, uh, this other day, I want to talk to this patient just as much as I can handle, like whatever it is, right? Like it can be dynamic. I, we don't have to have a rigid idea and a very fixed state goal that we're working towards, even for things like your schedule. And I found that to be true for myself. So at first I, I just started pairing back and pairing back and pairing back my schedule, trying to sense, do I think I'm getting under my capacity? Do I notice that I've got space? And I feel like I'm really there now. 
it feels really nice. And I've noticed I have a little bit of an indicator of like, not rushing in to add more work to feel safe, but like, Ooh, I, I feel like that's actually stretched my capacity to this extent that I'm like, what could I add in or how could I do things differently? I have space to maneuver now and it feels so nice, you know? So whatever, say right now you check in with your body and your body's like, stop working altogether. Often then what we think is, Oh no, I can't be a doctor anymore. I can't, whichever kind of clinician you are, I can't work anymore. But what if your body's just saying, please stop now. We need to stop. And then you honor that and you stop and maybe it lasts a day. Maybe it lasts a month. Maybe you take a leave. Maybe your body's really been screaming at you for some time to stop. So you take a sabbatical, you take a leave. And then eventually your wantings and cravings may shift where you go, I could consider doing a little bit of work. What would that look like? Like that often is what happens, um, you know, as a family physician, I definitely walk a lot of my patients through, um, you know, a work leave of some kind, being on some sort of disability and, I see how that happens. Their body starts to signal, their body recovers, their body has different resources, has, has found new sources of support perhaps while they're off. And then they can gradually go back, maybe not to the same amount as before, if work and overworking were part of what, what made them go off, but they can return to some kind of work, right? So it's not static. It's okay to face what your body and yourself and whichever formulation works better for you. It's okay to face what you want right now because it actually isn't what you want forever. And, and that's true for literally everything. Like I know we like get married to people and that means that we want to be with them forever. But like anyone who does any kind of marriage work will tell you it's a daily choice and you can leave at any time, even though there's a law that you're married, right? Like because people do it all the time, right? So each of these is about responding to how you, what you desire now, right? And so as you start to get more familiar with, oh, this is what I desire now. Oh, this is what I want now. Oh, I see that I'm not satisfied with this, but I am satisfied with that. Isn't that interesting, right? So you get these noticings. You may though, as you sort of step back, start to get a sense of themes. So it's like, you're noticing your brain, you're noticing your emotional, mental energy. You're noticing that by 4 p.m., or 2 p.m., who knows, like at some time through the day, if you're doing a certain kind of work, your brain is pretty much saying, I, I at least want a break. Oh, I need a break from screens. I need a break from thinking. I need a break from humans. Like I'm noticing that my body's sort of like, yeah, by this point in the day, I would like to stop, please. And that's sort of the, the want that you notice is coming up for you. We don't have to make any action of it yet. We're just noticing. Interesting. Make a note, right? Keep a journal, like interesting to know, right? It might be, you know, different times of the month. If you happen to menstruate, oh, certain times of the month, I want to stop working sooner or later. Who knows? Like, or, you know, right after I've seen a family member that activates me, I notice my capacity shifts like in either direction, right? So um, just noticing any theme. So noticing like, and it's a way of getting to know yourself and maybe taking note if those are themes that you want to pay more attention to, right? Um, if you're working every day of the week, you notice you're starting to withdraw emotionally by Wednesday afternoon and the rest of the week, you kind of hate everybody. Interesting. What would that be like to honor? Hmm? And so, yes, we're now perhaps nudging, moving towards the consideration of making a shift, but we don't have to make it immediately, right? These themes though can inform a vision of what a supportive container for your desires could look like. And I like to think of it as a, your calendar could be a supportive container for your desires. Your life could be the supportive container for your desires. Your house could be a supportive container for your desires. So like your uncomfortable furniture that doesn't make your back hurt. You know what I'm saying? Like, what if you start to view like, is this a supportive container for my desires, my needs, for how my body works, for how my brain works? Is your electronic medical record a supportive container for your desires? Sorry, I can't not laugh at that because it's very much not for most people, right? It's like flashing lights, insanity. So is it a supportive container for our brains? Usually not. Anyone who designs EMRs who wants to actually design one that has brains in mind, including neurodiverse brains and like has settings that would help be supportive for our brains, I will switch to you immediately, EMR vendor. Please tell me and sign me up, <laughs> right? So while we're waiting for the world to create supportive containers for our desires, we could start to consider doing it for ourselves, right? So 
And just, and so for right now, we're not making any action, but just for doing some imagining together. So I, first we've done some noticing. And by the way, like you could come back and listen to this podcast. You could go away, you could pause now, go do this for a while. And then you're like, okay, I'm noticing themes. So I'm going to go back and listen to the next section of Joan's podcast. The next section is going to be creating a vision, just starting to ask yourself some gentle questions of like what that supportive container could look like, right? And it could be on a macro level. What changes in my calendar would be more supportive for me based on what I've learned about myself and what my body is inviting me to know about their needs? What could shift? Even small shifts or big, but like, I like to ask this, this is my favorite like coaching question when I'm working with people and in workshops and whatever, like if you were starting from scratch, knowing what you know about your brain and your body and who you are as a person, how would you design your work week? And that's very hard for people that we got to go through this work. Sometimes we have to iterate a few times because this is sort of, you got to feel safe enough to actually imagine it, but it's a useful question to ask yourself, you know, and to keep asking yourself. So you can think of it on that macro level. Also, if that's not interesting or not available to you, or you're not, that's overwhelming, you could do it on a micro level, right? So what changes about how I approach each patient encounter, you know, what changes are my body inviting me to consider about how I approach patient encounters? Do Is it that like my body aches because I'm twisting in my chair. So I literally want to change where my chair is. You know, if, you know, say you're in a hospital setting, you notice the difference if you sit next to the patient versus you stand next to the patient when you're going from patient to patient in the merge or hospital or wherever you are, right? Like what changes are your body inviting you to do on these little micro levels that you could start to experiment with and honor and see how it changes how you feel, right? With your clinical decision-making, you know, what changes is your body and brain inviting you? Do you notice you like your decisions more when you're less distracted? Do you like your decisions more if you're full. So like, don't make decisions while hungry, you know, like whatever it is. Um, I've started making sure I snack. I, I, my body is set to my kids, um, food schedule, which, um, when we're home together, we eat lunch at 11. So between 11 and noon, I do see patients still, and that feels good because that's sort of the flow of our office, but I take a snack break because if I am hungry, I am a different doctor than if I have food in me. And I like who I am as a doctor better if I have food in me. So I take the time to do that, right? So like, these are small things that don't have to be this huge system change, but are a system change for you, right? So um, another good one, a great micro type question is, what is my body and brain inviting me to shift? What is my body and brain telling me it likes and doesn't like about what happens when I open my inbox? What could shift around there? What could be a supportive container for my desires around the inbox? Including if you never want to open it again. And then it's like, hmm, do I have to hire someone? Do I, what am I going to do? <laughs> right. So like really noticing what comes up for you in, in small chunks of your work, if the whole schedule thing seems overwhelming. Right. And so once you start connecting with that, you might start to feel a danger signal. You might just start to feel anxious. You're like, okay, I'm doing some imagining. And now I'm like, oh crap. Now I, now saying it out loud to someone else, acknowledging even to myself does not feel safe because I now feel like I'm failing to give myself what I want. So it's safer to just pretend I don't know what I want. So we, we're trying not to turtle you back in. So if right now you're like, uh-oh, I do know something that I definitely want to change. And I actually even have an idea of how I would change it. But now I just want to, never do it. Permission to never do it. Okay. Sometimes it's just good to know a thing, you know, on a different life. I've lived, lived in France. I don't think that's true for me, but you know, like, Hey, we all have many lives we could lead. It's okay. You never have to make any change about this, right? We're so action oriented and we're so success failure driven. And it feels scary to try to work towards something. Cause what if you try really hard to change your relationship with your inbox or whatever, and then you still don't like it and you still feel bad. Then you'll also like feel shamey about yourself. That part's optional. You will not have to beat yourself up. If you try something and doesn't work out, we can continue the process of curiosity and experimentation, right? There's even a sense of like, oh, who am I to shift or change something? Who am I to think about? enjoying my work more. I should already be enjoying my work. This is good work. Other people, I'm privileged. I'm so well-employed. I'm so whatever. How dare I desire more than what I have now, right? So that's all though. That's just another layer of socialization and inhuman stories coming up here, right? We 
And so we can soothe ourselves and just say, we're just observing, we're observing as long as we need. So like, if you're considering doing this work, but the, I, the idea of doing it, you're immediately like, I know I'm going to feel like a failure. You can set sort of a container around it of like, I'm only doing this for information purposes. I'm only doing this to observe how I feel. Too often, actually, like we get a first inkling. It's sort of like, um, like, I, I don't know, what's like a funny example. So, say you had a, well, my brain used to do this, actually. Say I was feeling annoyed at my husband. I would not want to acknowledge that I felt annoyed at my husband because there's a part of my brain that's like, if you're annoyed with your husband, if you don't like who you are, that means you're married to the wrong person and you have to get a divorce. And that's a big thing. So don't, so just pretend you're not annoyed with him. <laughs> when I could just be like, I notice I'm annoyed with him. I, I notice I don't like him very much in this moment. I notice I, I have a desire to be apart from him. And so I'm going to go to the other room. I'm going to go to work. And then I'll just keep noticing, does that desire keep happening or does it dissipate because I've given space? And now I come back and I'm like, hey, I notice I do want to be with you again, right? We think, oh, I can't acknowledge I don't like my workplace because that means I have to leave immediately. What if it doesn't? What if you can just observe exactly what you dislike about it? What doesn't feel good? What feels like is not a supportive container for your needs and desires? And you're just noticing. And actually, you're forbidden from taking any action or yelling at anybody about it for a whole week, for a whole month. Like that could be the project, right? So that way you can really immerse in it and collect the data and explore. Notice if you like it more on some days than others. And why? Is it the day of the week? Is it how fed you are? <laughs> is it how much you've been, had enjoyable activities in the evening the night before? Like, is it how much you've had to drink the night before? Like, there's so many factors that, you know, if we, if we can spend a ton of time just observing what we want without, with taking absolutely any obligation to take any actions about it off the table completely, we can learn so much more. I have this patient um, who gave me this phrase and he he repeated to me a couple times and I've written it down because I think it's so good, which is observation precedes wisdom. So like the more we observe and get to know ourselves and understand, just like change our relationship to what we want. I think it really benefits us to be quite sort of, if you say gradual and treat it like a relationship that can like warm up over time versus if we were like, okay, all right, now I suddenly have energy. I'm a goal setter. I'm going to set a new goal. I'm going to go after it. I don't even, not going to even question why I have this goal. And I'm just going to do a bunch of things. You know, we can miss so much versus if we kind of start with a period of observation and we continue to be really quite reflective and reflexive about how we approach any kind of change, it feels a lot better. And it actually is sort of more successful. You know, we're not like falling off the wagon and stuff because we're, we're doing it at a pace that our body feels safe doing. And we actually understand what it is we want and we don't get fixed on a goal. Right. Um, a quick example about that is like, um, I knew this year I wanted to host a retreat and I'm still thinking through how, and if I may host a retreat by myself, like only me finding a space, setting up registration and hosting a retreat of a kind. And I was noticing a part of my brain being like, oh, you're failing at this goal because you haven't set it up and you haven't set a date, da, da, da. But I also having the desire to host a retreat was out of wanting to see more people in person, wanting to teach in person, wanting to be in community with others. And I have already said yes to a number of things, including things I'm co-creating that maybe they're not a sleepover retreat, but I'm doing a mini retreat half day that we're, I'm planning with someone. I am, I have been invited to, and I have already spoken at one retreat, overnight retreat for the university I'm a part of. I have this amazing conference I'm going to be speaking at in Hawaii in December. Like I actually have a number of things that still actually fulfill the reason I had that goal to begin with. So if I'm fixated on the outside idea of what I wanted, I've missed the whole purpose. That's what kind of approaching what you want first in this way allows me to say, okay, but I'm actually already giving myself so much of what I wanted. If the specific idea I had about this kind of retreat doesn't happen, I can still look at my year and say, so many things that happened this year was because I wanted to fulfill this desire to be in community and to see people in person. And I've more than fulfilled my goal in that way, right? So just really wanting to take all the sting of action bias out of there and sort of external outcome reward stuff out of there completely. 
because that can get in the way of us even approaching the exercise of asking ourselves what we want. And it, this whole podcast is a sales pitch and I'm hoping will help you to see it's okay to start exploring and knowing what you want. <laughs> That's the whole thing. So I hope it's working. I'm trying to ease you in really slowly, right? So this last half, I just want to spend time like, so say you started to feel, oh, okay. I I have a, a de definite more solid sense of what my body is telling me or what I'm telling myself, what I really want about this particular aspect of my work, for example. And I've checked the themes. I've gone a period of observation. I understand I have a vision of what possibly could be a more su supportive way for me to meet that desire on a regular basis, like the snack break halfway through your morning, like something like that, whatever it is. Okay. So how do we actually start taking a little bit of action at a pace that works for us? So the first point is little bit of action pace that works for us is perfect. We don't have to go gung-ho on these things if we don't want to. You can, if you want to. I'm a gung-ho gal. I love like action all over the place, but I've learned over time, maybe not the most energy efficient. Like it actually works very nice. I like saying the word tiny experiments. That's one of like kind of the core foundations of how I do my coaching work and how I do change work myself is like, understand what's real, what's true, and, and then embody it through tiny experiments for myself. So it's true. I, I've noticed that I do my best work in the mornings. So what's a small way I could start to unfold that, right? So I'm going to give you sort of, let me see how many are in my little list here, I guess, four different ways to think of it, right? Um, the first way is actually still not take any, any specific different action, but instead just shifting what you pay attention to. Simply looking for the thing that you've been craving, that you realize your body's been craving and desiring, not changing anything other than your focus to look for how that thing is already present in your day, right? And so this is the concept I learned from Merchant Strategy. What you pay attention to grows, even if you don't take any other specific action. So a common one that I um, I think of a lot is I will go through cycles of feeling kind of disconnected and other other than my colleagues at work. Um, I work with a number of doctors, and truly based on you know honestly I've you know I've done therapy slash coaching work on this, you know, not feeling cool enough or, you know, cool kids at school, not thinking I'm cool. A lot of that, I think, you know, feeling different. And so I, I can go through periods of being like, oh man, I don't fit in with my colleagues. I don't fit in. I, I feel like the odd one out. Right. And so the, when I think about that, what that means is my, I am craving more belonging and connection with my colleagues. I'm, I, that is what I'm craving. So sometimes my brain wants to be like, go into action mode, be like, okay, so what I'll do is I'll plan like a team building exercise or I'll, I'll say something to them. And those could be good. Those could be helpful. But before that, honestly, what helps me as a beginning point is offering belonging to myself, like I talked about in last week's podcast, but even externally seeking evidence of connection and belonging already. And, and sort of working with the hypothesis, it's already there more than you're seeing it. What if it's already there more than you're seeing it, right? So like, it's so wild how often I can find it. It happened like yesterday morning. I've been feeling like, oh, one thing like my brain does is it's like, maybe I should leave. Like, that's like for anything. Like I said, when I'm mad at my husband or mad at my coworker, like, it's like, maybe I, this is the wrong place for me. I should leave. Oh no, how do I leave? Like I, I and it has a little spin. But now I notice like when that happens, what really is happening is like, oh, I'm feeling like I'm disconnected. My body is craving. The thing that I want is more connection, belonging with whoever. And so this like yesterday morning I showed up and like there were ways I could have approached my interactions with my colleagues that would have shown me, see, I'm different for them. See, I wouldn't say that. See, they think this about me. And then I would have had a disconnected morning. The morning I did, I approached it, I noticed like, huh, look at this. Look at how they're reaching out to me. Look at how they're speaking to me. Look at how you're laughing together. Because I can feel disconnected even when I'm like full on having a laughing together moment with people because it's in, there's an internal component to that experience, you know? So just really noticing and seeking it out, putting those glasses on and like, 
finding the friendliness and kindness and connection I was looking for, I literally then have more because I'm looking for it and I'm noticing it and I'm receiving it. I'm tuned to that frequency and I find it. And then the neat thing is then, because then I'm feeling more friendly and loved, I put it out there and it also comes back to me more. It's very interesting how that starts that process. That's what it means to me, what you pay attention to grows. Really pay attention for the things that you're craving. And you'll notice that they maybe they're not there in enough measure, for sure. There's, there's probably physical actions that may need to be taken, depending on what it is. But when you start from that place, you start from a more resource and actually it's more accurate place that makes the the gap between where you are now and where you're hoping to be a lot smaller and more attainable. It's really nice. And so then the second um, sort of phase, you could say, of actually in inviting a change into your life, based inviting a desire to have some satisfaction beyond just paying attention is to embody the intention. So like, how is it that I want to feel? What do I wish felt different in my work? I've sought out places where it's already there. Now, how can I also create that in small measures in, in, in my workplace? So say what I really am craving is more spaciousness. My day feels so crowded and crammed and crushed, right? So if I want more spaciousness and from the inside out is my preferred approach. So how can I create more spaciousness in my mind? What is cluttering and distracting my mind? So do I you know, sort of do a thought dump journal? Do I turn off all notifications? Do I, how do I kind of create more space and declutter in my mind? And then also in my physical space, if I want it to be more spacious, can I literally throw out things, create more space in my physical space? How can I create space in this conversation with a colleague? I'm noticing I'm being interrupted a lot. And also I have an impulse to interrupt a lot. So my part of the conversation, could I create space by taking a breath, by stepping back a pace to create more physical space? Does that feel better, right? If I'm like, I'm seeking space, I'm inviting space, I'm embodying the concept of space because that's what I want more of. Same with, with a patient, with whatever, right? And you can do this with anything, with joy, beauty, pleasure, connection, like all of these things, right? So going back to my example that I just gave about paying attention for more connection, my next sort of step in terms of embodying it even more, honestly, is um, I keep asking myself these days, like, what would Ted Lasso do? Which only makes sense if you've watched Ted Lasso, but he's amazing. And you can tell his whole coaching philosophy on this football uh, soccer team that he's coaching is really about connection and like, seeing people for who they are. And so, you know, when I'm having an insecure moment, I'm more likely to be a little less friendly, a little more withdrawn, which is totally fine in me being protective. But when I feel resourced and I've seen that there's more connection, can I in tiny amounts just nudge myself towards friendliness, opening new conversations, asking questions, and sort of just like a little more Ted Lasso in my life, honestly. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. The Ted Lasso of it all. And that's just embodying it a little bit. I haven't made a formal friendliness policy. I haven't, you know, written to my MPP to add more friendliness to the nation. Because listen, that would be cool. But there's not, the inside out approach means you get to experience it so much faster. You are more resourced and have offered yourself and found ways to get what you're craving. And out of that, honestly, the world changes, in my opinion. <laughs> There's a ripple effect, which is amazing, right? Um, yes. And so then the last piece I want to say is, so say you've now moved beyond that and you're like, okay, but I do notice. I just say you want to be less rushed and you're like, I truly think even when I've offered myself space and slower pace and I've offered myself so many things, truly, I need to see less patients per day or I need to end my, my day earlier. Like I can tell I need to actually make sort of a formal change that's going to involve talking to other people, right? So that's where you can still do that incrementally. You can still call it an experiment. You'd be like, so for the next month, I am blocking this off. For the next month, I am taking these times off, these days off. I have to leave at this time. And, and so it's just like for now, that's a way to help your brain not feel like it's forever, but just like for the next three months, this is what I'm experimenting with. And then I'm going to check in, see how I'm feeling, see if I want to make another change. We can do it in small measures. If you have a sense, probably, honestly, your body and brain would really love if you worked half days instead of full days, for example. 
And that feels way too terrifying because of all of our internal stories and external issues and finances and who know, who knows? What if you shave off like 30 minutes at the end of each day and you really incrementally go back and back and then you can be checking your bank account, checking your body, checking your work environment and seeing, does anyone notice? How can you adapt? How can actually this be totally fine? And you can just slowly, gradually find a version of a schedule that feels good, right? So take it in small chunks when you're doing even the external work of making decisions that you know other people need to know about. I think you'll really learn more in that process. And um, it usually, honestly, also, it usually is easier for other people to adapt to as well. So that's a kindness for them. So no one's like in shell shock. So it's a beautiful thing, right? Um, and then the last sort of level to consider, sort of a meta level, which is like approach this whole change work exercise. If you're now considering doing anything that I've just described, but you're doing it feeling like you have to do it right, or you have to do it with pressure. How about you shift how you even approach yourself in times of change? So if you want to feel less rushed, and so you've recognized, you're like, that's the, the dominant craving my body has is to feel less rushed, to go at a slower pace. I can feel that my body really ramps up and feels really yucky. And I want to move slower. I want, I just want to be less rushed. Um, one of my friends um, gave me like, I want my day to feel unhurried. And I was like, Oh, that's nice. So like, say that's what you, that's what you're working on. Like I'm practicing being unhurried. So you're embodying it in yourself. You're seeing times where you're already doing it. You've made changes to your schedule. Like you're going through that process, but there's a way you could do it. You're like, I want to feel unhurried. And I want to feel unhurried right now. <laughs> you see a bit of an irony in that. So how could you approach yourself, your expectations for what this change will look like? with less time pressure. So it's like, I wish I felt less unhurried. I wish I felt unhurried now, but how can I unhurry myself as I work on feeling less hurried? You see what I mean? There's like, I wanna feel more connection. I wanna feel more connection with other people. There's a way you can do it where you're actually less connected with yourself or still ignoring yourself. But what if you said, okay, self, we're going to really work on this project of feeling more connection with our colleagues and our patients. And the way we're going to do it is I'm, I'm clenching my hand. If you're not watching the video, I'm going to hold your hand and you and me together connected are going to do this. It feels totally different and um, it feels so much better. And overall, as you know, this is my year of pleasure. The way I would um, invite anyone to do any kind of change work is in a way that feels good. Because there's a lot about it that's going to feel scary and not good. So let's, at least what we can control, feel good about it, right? So the last, last thing I will say, and then you're off to be inspired and hopefully feel like you can get a sense of, hmm, okay, I think I do know what I want. I think I actually have some ideas. Okay, interesting, right? You don't have to do this work alone. It's very easy to kind of spin in your head and not really know what you want, right? It's a, and it's a lot more fun. And I would say, I would say easier. I'd say, I don't know about faster, but like, um, because we are such social creatures, having another person to share the journey with really helps, helps you, um, also feel a sense of momentum and someone to reflect back to you. Cause often we can't see the change, but someone else can be like, look, that counts. That's progress. That's incredible. Right. So, um, even, even if you simply just tell someone, tell your partner, tell your best friend, like I want to work less and you're like, oh, I said it out loud, ah, but actually naming it out loud. It's like a spell. It like brings something into the world to name it out loud, right? It starts the process and they can cheer you on and they can support you. That's so huge. Then that I, it really, I think there's probably solid data that it makes it more likely it could come into being because you've just taken that step of telling another human, right? So um, it even can help make it come true. Like, so say the person you tell is someone who works with you. So say you want to feel less rushed and you tell your medical office assistant or your colleague that you work with that, and you can say, hey, just so you know, for this year, I'm really wanting to work on ways of rushing less. Do you ever feel like super rushed? Is that something you're interested in? Like, do you want to like help each other feel less rushed? Like you can kind of have someone that's a co worker with you, right? Like there's those sorts of things as well, which is really nice. So the, so that's sort of the end of 
my teaching for the day, the things I wanted to say, which is like based on all the folks I've worked on, worked with so far, whether it's one-on-one clients or in the groups or in the workshops, and even just my personal experience, this is what I found helps you to know what you want and bring that, what you bring the thing you want into your life and in a really, in a way that's sort of kind and gentle and human towards yourself, which I think is that's the whole project here. So I wanted to offer what I have learned and experienced with all of you. So you can, I've heard from many of you simply through the podcast, like I've made these changes. I feel so much better at my work. And that like fills me with such delight. I'm so happy. So I hope that this offering is yet another, another offering that can help you think maybe even bigger. Maybe that vision grows a little larger. I could even dare to do this with my work. I could even dare to do that. What? You know, like, let's expand our imaginations collectively. I love that so much. And right at the end of this, I did want to name in front of all of you, one of my things that I've been desiring. So one thing that I've been desiring is the opportunity to support more of you in this kind of journey, right? So and to do it in a way, though, that is um, supportive of me and my nervous system. So um, I love working with people one-on-one, -on -one, and I do have capacities to continue to work with some people one-on-one, -on -one, but I'm also aware in order to expand my impact in terms of the number of people I'm able to support, um, one way I want to do that is um, by doing more groups. And so a specific external goal that I have for myself is um, to run not one group, but actually two groups through the months of March and June, 2024. So if you're listening to this, like when it comes out in like February, 2024, I have set myself an, an intention and it's sort of an external vision of what if I could invite 20 of you to come work with me. So there's in each group, there's 10 of you, right? So last fall, I ran one group and had 10 incredible healthcare humans in there. And it felt so good. Um, I loved, I learned a lot. I tweaked some of the curriculum. I've got more ideas and refined concepts of like how to make the group format really supportive and flow well. Um, I'm so excited to offer that. And I, and I'm feeling resourced and really want to stretch my desire and capacity by actually inviting two groups in instead of one. So the specific details, if you're interested, um, I'm going to once again host one of the groups of 10 over Zoom on Wednesday evenings, um, Eastern Standard Time. But I also want to have a group option for Wednesday afternoons for those of you say who have half days or Wednesdays a day off or you, or if you really want to stretch, you could create time, block it off in your schedule. What if this is the kind of thing that you use to create some space for you in a schedule that otherwise always gets filled in with obligations, right? So if you've ever considered working with me, now is a great time to sign up because I'm sort of expanding the number of people I'm inviting in at one time. I'm not sure if that number of you are interested in working with me, but I would love to have you. And so if you are considering, please sign up. Um, in the show notes, it'll say where you sign up and all the details of the specifics. Um, if you have a friend or a colleague that could benefit, encourage them to come along. I've got more space than ever. So that's why I'm, I'm hoping that by creating more space, I can invite in more folks and really support more folks. And I'm feeling like I have the capacity and resources to do so. So if you've been looking for someone to help walk you along this journey, if you're interested in really taking the things you've noticed about what you want and the vision you're starting to create and hold for yourself of what you wish your work in healthcare could be, I would love to support you with it. I just it would be so good. And if you're not sure, if you're like, I'm not sure if I want to be in this group or not, I feel like I'm on the fence. You could even reach out and I'll talk to you about that. And I will like, honestly, I, I will... I will support you whether you get a clear yes or no in the end. It's fine either way, but supporting people to get in touch with themselves to the point where they know what they want and can feel good about a yes and good about a yo no, like that full body yes and no, it's a beautiful thing. So I would love to support you with that as well. So that's it for me this week. At the end of this podcast, are you already getting some inklings? What is it that you want? What is it that your body's inviting you to shift? Maybe not at first, just observation. Just have some observations. What are the observations as you notice what your body is saying? Yes or no to yikes or yum to yuck or hooray to, right? Like as you go through your day, what 
do you want? What are the desires? What's the noticings? And in a really safe incremental way, could we start to put together a vision of what would feel slightly more supportive? What would a more supportive container maybe look like? And how can you look for ways it's already there and then start to grow it from there until it becomes the supportive container for your desires that I think each of us really deserves. I'm cheering for you. All right, we'll talk to you next week. I would love to take this work deeper with you. Visit joanchanmd.com today and discover my growing menu of options for restorative medical education to suit your learning needs. I offer one-on-one coaching, customized workshops, and self-study courses that allow you to connect not only with my work on a deeper level, but also with other healthcare humans just like you. So if you want to start humanizing your work and healthcare to a deeper level and do it in community with others, please visit joanchanmd.com and find those options and what fits you and your life today.